Right on time. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. How's everybody feeling today? In a good mood? You better be. Because it's Freedom Family Friday. We've got the smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife of mine, Stephanie Peterson. Give it up. Watching all of my props. I have all these toys and things. Yeah, lots of fun things to play with. Today. Yeah. Yes. What do my you got? fidget toys. Oh, your fidget toys. Reginald got the Rooster. Joel. Got a chicken. Mm-hmm. I've got our founding flavors coffee. And founding got, fathers themed. And you got me to play with too. Oh. Mm. That's for later. That's for later. Good morning. Rise and Freedom. Stephanie Peterson joining us in the house for Freedom Family Friday. Work but before play. We've got lots of great fun today for you and some awesome guests. Justin Peterson, another Peterson family yeah, member. Yeah, he's actually a family member. I know every day, like when Camelia's on, you're always like, she is not related to me. Now you can be like, Justin is related to me. Justin is my <laughs> brother. He is Peterson S E N. He'll be joining us here today on the show at 8 a.m. So time we've got a couple of topics that we're going to talk to him about he's going to kind of react to the other interview that we have set up today which is going to happen at 7 30 a.m central time this is a guy by the name of chris Muntz, and he is a music educator i believe that he is and lee summit missouri yes a choir teacher or Correct. so i think Yes, he's a, he calls himself a music educator, and oh. he's also the host of the Coralosophy podcast. Yeah. And he was reacting to uh, a TikTok that went viral where white kids were sort of feeling embarrassed because they had been singing black songs in their choir class. And, um, hmm. you know, that this idea of cultural appropriation perhaps extends to the choir. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was in choir in high school, we sang Negro spirituals. Yeah, and that's what you called. Them. Oh, yeah, I was in choir ever since I was in third grade. And you said your high school and you sang like Elijah Rock. Oh, yeah. Elijah Rock, shout to shout. Elijah Rock, coming up, Lord. Elijah Rock, shout to shout. Elijah Rock, coming up, Lord. Jesus. And it was like, uh, and then I remember, shout to do, keep out the devil. Shout to do, keep the devil out the light. Shout to do, keep out the devil. Hallelujah, keep a glorious song. I don't know. Now, the problem for me as a Jewish kid, I remember I was going to have a solo. Um, Because we were like singing at a church for Christmas Mm -hmm. and I was going to be singing about Jesus and my solo. And I remember my mom didn't want me to do that. And so really? I had to play an instrument instead. Oh. I couldn't sing about Jesus. Really? Yes. Okay. So that, you know what? That's funny. Cause it reminds me of a story when my dad was a kid, uh-huh. he was, they would, they, they taught uh, dancing in gym class. Oh. And so they weren't allowed to, because my dad was Baptist he was not allowed to dance. Oh, that's right. So my, I, my that dad, is so hard to picture your dad not dancing. Like he loves the dance, winter dance festival I love, I, he in does, Iowa. He does. He's got this. Day, he's got the dance move like this right here. <laughs> oh, he's he's a smooth fox. He oh, is. Absolutely. Oh, dad is a smooth fox for sure. Yes, <laughs> he's, a, he's a silver fox these yes. days. But um, no, he was not. He tells the story about him and his sister Carmen my aunt Carmen mm-hmm. and when they were kids they felt so embarrassed because in the gym while all the other kids were dancing yeah and I don't, and I think I asked him what kind of dancing it was it might have been square dancing right Aww. which is so funny because you could think like can you imagine being offended by square dancing you know? I know I was wondering like <laughs> is it because it's with like partners and that could get yeah. a little promiscuous I mean, you know in terms of making boys and girls like each lifts. other Let's try to teach you a square dance recently. Yes. I am not very good at 
formal dancing, you know, like choreographed stuff. I'm good at just like free dancing by myself. See, we don't want to, we have to worry about anybody mm -hmm. appropriating square dancing or anything like that because nobody's going to do that. Well, anyway. I, I don't know. <laughs> People may be offended by square dancing. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of meaning behind I square dancing. I got good at it actually because we did it in middle school and high school mm -hmm. at Ray Peck when I went to Ray Moore Peculiar and um, I really enjoyed it. I, we, I mean, you know, you have an excuse to put your hands on girls. <laughs> no, I don't remember us learning dancing. I, I re remember learning ballet mm -hmm. when I went to private school. Did I was you, in like second grade. And didn't you do tap dancing as well, Stephanie? For maybe like a very short time. Yes, I did wear a Minnie Mouse costume to my recital. I do remember that. I was I was probably like four years old. Oh, and since you were, uh, I mean, you really enjoy tap dancing. I like the sound of the clickety clack. Okay. I must be autistic. There's something about clickety clack. Like I need certain keyboards when I'm typing. You hear me when I'm typing. I love the clickety clickety, but it has to be a certain a certain type of noise. You might, you got some problems, but it's not yes, autism. It's a sensory issue. Uh, anyway, yeah. so then yeah. so then you probably enjoyed the White House uh, tap dance video that I they put did. out. Here we go. There it is. My, I was bobbing to it. Here's Jill Biden's Christmas. What the hell is that? Okay. Maybe I should like put a chicken on my head. Right. <laughs> yes, that's what you need to do. Okay, here's the transgender one. This one. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> I liked uh, I liked our friend Hannah Cox's take. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know what she called it? Huh? She says that it was uh, Happy Holidays to all Americans who prefer to celebrate Christmas like they're on an acid trip at a pride parade. <laughs> I mean, drugs, yes. Maybe maybe there were drugs involved. I would say most successful people in this There's world use lot, drugs. There are a lot of drugs involved, let's yes, be honest. especially artists. Yeah, for sure. They do. Anyways, they do. So some people are saying it looked like the Hunger Games... No, I didn't get that impression. No, it wasn't like deep and dark and like, I didn't feel like I was about to die. Okay. But hold on now this one, nobody it, was about to get killed behind the Christmas the, tree. A lot of the pictures, a lot of the coverage has been freeze framing on this frame right here. Can you see what I'm looking at right now? Take a look. Is here. it okay this, if I peek over? Yeah, you can peek okay. over. The camera's on me anyway, but here it is. Look at this. Look at this now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now see this, this. What is she about to accept in her mouth? <laughs> That's Stephanie. Uh, it's a very wide. Is that no? Is that the transgender one? Because there's always got to be at least one. Her head looks shaved. Yeah, it, it does. It does. But it's apparently it's not shaved. Just oh, I think it's just maybe up. Does it's, she have like an up hairdo? Yeah, or something? she does. But she's just like, uh -huh. it's, a, it's a little freaky looking there. Yeah, her mouth was open just a little too big. Someone needed to tell her to close her mouth <laughs> a little bit. 
I don't know. I mean, it just <laughs> it was it was just a, a very accentuated or no over exaggerated facial. It was a facial formation. It was there. a little odd. Yes. Here, but uh, well, Hanukkah ended last night and we, crazy we, lit, night. we lit the candles every single day. There was one day we didn't light the candles, but we said the prayers with my mother on the yeah, phone. We did. We did. Barakata yes. Adonai Eloheinu Melech Asher Kishanu Mitzvotav We still have to use our print out paper. Yeah, for sure. We got to say thank yeah. you to Joni Rankin for dropping 20 bucks in the tip jar. What's up, Why'd Joni? Why'd she do that? Because, she's, because we were dancing. She says, no oh. ran here. Big thank you to the Petersons for starting out my day right. Well, Love see, you guys. She is a fellow artist. She and is. She appreciates dance and singing and she knows how it is. But she's not, she's yeah. a liberty lover. She's not yeah. like, she's a real liberal in the like good sense, not the bad sense. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? She's, she's like, she's not going to force, you know, anybody to go and watch Les Miserables or for it to be publicly funded. You know? Right, right. Exactly. I mean, are we commenting on the video now? Or are yeah, go we gonna, ahead. Oh, yeah, okay. Go ahead. I mean, if it were boring, if it were like the Nutcracker, people would be like, oh my God, that's so boring. Like, we need our attention grabbers, okay? This was an attention grabber. There was a lot to look at. It's good for kids. It's good for adults. It's not like inappropriate. Nobody's doing anything weird. They're just and opening their mouth okay but hold on let's compare it to christmas let's let's be visited by a ghost of christmas past who might actually also be the ghost of christmas future which uh -huh. is melania trump yeah so her here's, she had a video too she well here's their okay. video the christmas this okay. is the ghost of christmas past and possibly christmas future Unfortunately, i need to like peek my eyes over. joe biden is the ghost of christmas present here i'll, I'll put the camera on me so you can peek okay, there we thanks. go Obviously, it's better because they're Republicans. <laughs> that was so boring. You think so? Oh, my God. The lack of talent involved in that. Like, now, wait a minute. She did not decorate those trees. OK, they just like they're like, here, okay. sprinkle some fairy dust okay, on the true. tree and make it look like you're doing all the decorations. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie no. is not a very Melania, good Republican. She hires help. OK. OK, hold on. Hold those on. tap dancers were really tap dancing. They did not hire anyone. OK, to good do point. It for them. Good point, Stephanie. They uh, hired themselves. Yeah, yeah, or we're hired. Not supposed to be saying this. We're yes. supposed to just defend the Republicans here. Just shut no. up. Here's the thing. OK, here's the thing. <laughs> OK, let's hear it. Republicans have no true art. Oh, boy. Here it goes. I don't know if they do. Stephanie, she's probably true, but they're going to hate you anyway. most artists liberals? Listen, tell me, Stephanie. It's called liberal arts for a reason, isn't it? Just, it's not called conservative arts. Listen to your arts. husband for a moment. If you're going to tell people <laughs> the truth, you have to make them laugh or else they'll kill yeah. you. Okay. Well, aren't I making you guys laugh? I think it's funny. I think it is kind of funny, too, actually. Well, wait a minute. Now, hold on. Here's another comparison. Wait, here's another comparison video side by side. Okay. Now, this is another, this is a different, apparently, a different year. 
Here we, we can see. Well, the, apparently there was some more color in this celebration. Yeah, there's there's a lot more going on upstairs. Not gonna lie. Okay, yeah. It's if... so mid. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, Melania's a beautiful woman, but you know what? Maybe she should be singing or dancing or doing something else in the video yes. rather than just walking. Yes, obviously Melania was better because quote it's Trump. Yes, thank you, Livia. Maybe she should be wearing her lingerie from her modeling days while walking through the Christmas trees. That would get some attention. My wife has gone off the plantation. Yes. Just FYI, she is a libertarian, so yes. please forgive her for any. If you became president, what would our video look like? You know, oh, dude. Like, it would probably be in our video. Honestly, it would probably be walking through the second. Christmas I'm... trees. Uh, that would... Accident. Uh, it would probably be something in between both of those things. Like it would, mm -hmm. we would, ha we would have the. Like I would, uh, I know you were like, "Oh, the Nutcracker is boring," but I actually think like the Nutcracker ballet is kind of beautiful <laughs> and fun. So like I would have like traditional like Christmas displays, mm -hmm. but we would have like some awesome dancers as well, right? So you right. you'd get the best of both worlds. If you had a if you had a libertarian Republican like me as president, then you would get like the the tap dancers but they wouldn't it wouldn't be like they were on acid or on drugs we would get the rockets yeah, you'd get the rockets to, to do the can can exactly oh yeah yes i mean you got to have sexiness yes it's mixed true with sophistication it's true oh yeah yes uh yeah. and I, we'd have george and kelvin in our video and they'd be like running around exactly yeah. exactly uh yeah so anyways so we had a we're having a great morning this morning good morning i'm austin peterson you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back here and join us. Melmax7777 joining us live That's this morning. That's a new nice name. Hello. Yeah. Welcome back. 7777. 7777. Are those so, seven sevens? Seven, seven sevens. I don't seven. know. Uh, everything's coming up sevens. Uh, you can text the show today at 573-319-1586. Quest says, don't go using our tax dollars for that, President Austin. Don't worry. I'd pull it up, pull it, bring it out of my own pocket. Are all of the videos that the presidents make used Probably. For, made with tax dollars? Probably. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. first ladies always get a little bit of a budget. So anyways. but mm. We would just ask for Rumble Rants and we'd just make our video from Rumble Rants. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. So it'd be <laughs> like a $20 well, video. Said Rumble Rant donations. Yeah. Is what it is. There you go. All right. So we've got a video that we're going to play today from uh, our next guest. Guy's name is Chris Muntz. He's, mm -hmm. a, choral, he's a choir teacher, a music educator, uh, and he's the host of the Choralosophy podcast. And he was... Uh, my brother actually, Justin, shared this video with me because they were talking about um, they were talking about whether or not you should sing, whether or not white kids should be singing black songs uh -huh. in their choir classes. So uh, when I saw this video, I was like, "This would be a really good uh, conversation to have on the show." We're going to have Chris Muntz at seven thirty this morning, so we're looking forward to talking to him about that. But let's watch this video a little bit and take a listen to this. So this is it says when I um. This is a white kid who posted it. He says, when I sang this solo to, uh, to an African hymnal for my high school choir, the choir teacher was white. The entire choir was white. 99.9999% of the student body was white. Everyone in the audience was white. Here he is. Yet, 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 
Okay, so I get that this creator is probably trying to be funny, and that seems to be a lot of what happens on this channel, but, and I get that, it's hilarious, but then he goes ahead and asks a serious question, which is why anyone would let this happen. So let's break that down. You're in a choir, 99.9% .9 white. Your audience is probably also going to be 99.9% .9 white. You're probably also in a community that is 99% white. There are lots of those in the United States. So let's break it down by math a little bit. The United States is about 60 to 70% white. Why would you say 60 to 70? Well, that 10% of a discrepancy depends on which uh, expert you ask of who counts as white because, of course, race is made up. It's a socially constructed thing. The categories are not agreed upon by everyone, and they change dr drastically over time. So right now, that 10% is in the Hispanic category, which was only made up in like the 1960s or so, and it attempts to lump a bunch of people together, mostly around coming from Spanish-speaking countries. So many people who are taking the label Hispanic appear to be white. And so some people would say, well, then they're white because they look white, right? So these, there's this whole argument. These are not real categories. But why does that matter? So you're in a community that is almost all white. You are going to have a white choir, which means that your soloist is going to need to be white. So then, now that we've kind of put the math aside, then we need to talk about the bigger picture, the elephant in the room. Why would you think that a choir can only sing music that the, their melanin uh, content is similar to the people who originally sang that song. Where does that idea come from? Because one of the things we can't have, have it both ways. We can't have it where we want to diversify education, which we do. We want our white students to not only be learning about things other white people did. Right. Because that's the problem in the first place. So we would say, yes, we want to diversify education. Should that then not apply to the music classroom? Of course it should. Right. So then you have to think about does the choir in the middle of, let's see, the whitest state in the United States, West Virginia, 97 percent white. There are communities there that are almost 100 percent white. So the, so there's a school in West Virginia. Right. Should its students only do white people music? What would we accuse them of then? We would accuse them of being racist. Mm -hmm. So they do music that is then by not white people. And what do we accuse them of? being racist. Okay, so obviously this is not a, a good platform to work on, right? We can't go from this, that is the ground level. So of course what matters the most is how they approach that music. Are they doing research on how that music should sound, how it should be performed? Um, how do we pronounce the language? How do we uh, understand how the music would have been used in the original culture? In other words, are we taking care of the music, musical origin culture when we perform the music? Because I don't think we want to say that the just the skin color needs to match because then you open up a whole another can of worms uh, is is black equal to african no because those are completely different cultures in fact africa is the most diverse place on the on the planet in terms of culture language genetics even there's more variance on the continent of africa than the rest of the world combined so we need to not have such reductive oversimplified ways of looking at the world kids from every school everywhere who are lucky enough to have a choir should be singing music from as many places in the world as possible so that they can learn what the world is about and where people come from in their cultures. Do it respectfully, do it with research, and do it as to the best of your ability, but do it.
Hmm. Interesting. Oh, there's, there's, an, a, there's an even addendum, more important there, part there's an addendum to this. Oh, and also that song's not even African. I'm hoping that this creator knows that that's a Christopher Tin song who's of Chinese American descent, American citizen, born and raised, writing with a Swahili text, original music for a video game that deals with a lot of cultures from around the world. That's the Civilization video game series. I hope that he knows that. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know that. Remember what just popped in my head? She was talking about this. Remember that woman who was like a car salesman or something, and she's talking about to Chinatown, and she's like, "Oh yes, yes, yes." It's the white white woman. Oh my god, I've got to pull that video up. Yes. Yes, I want to be ninja. To be ninja. I want to chop, 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 and down, chop it down to. She's singing in front of an Asian person. Yes, yes. Here it is. Here it is. Hold on. Here's the video. This is her watch. Sneak peek. No, stop it. Oh, There's some like remix whole, video. Yeah. I want to be ninja. Montage. Hold on, hold on. The original it's song. It's hilarious, you guys. Here it is. I mean, I'll quit it. I'm not again. They're just trying to give us like some like news thing that they do. Let's do I, I She want probably to has it copyrighted and everything. She probably has it like it on an album because it's just so inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Hold on. This post. Oh, see these. See, they're all. You know well, what it was? They're all triggered by it. That's so really they unfortunate. Took it down. Um, well, yeah, I'm wondering because I used to sing these kinds of songs in choir, and I'm remembering too when I would sing Latin songs. Sneak you know, peek. Songs in other languages. Mm-hmm. Gosh, the sneak peek thing just keeps coming Hold up. On. This looks like it's basically it. Yeah. Here. Let's go. Sat down to scratch my head. What could this day bring? It could be anything. I get the phone call. I gotta help them all. Go girl, we'll save the day. Chow will not get away. It didn't take me long to find the ticking bomb. He took off in my jeep. That Chow is such a creep. I gotta find a way to take down Chow one day. He pulled a ninja move. It got me to be cool. You know what? Maybe I too could be ninja. I want to be ninja. Okay. All right. Okay. So there's, I, I want to chop, 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 chow down. Is anyone chow feeling offended by Chinatown. that? Okay. So the funny thing, this story uh-huh. is that apparently this was like the opening of this lady's um, uh, uh, furniture store. <laughs> what is she talking about? How does this even have any relevance to her business? It doesn't. It doesn't. She's talking about like chopping prices so this or something. This is what happens when you have like a rich husband who can afford to like spend money on his wife's like desire to be a business person oh, yeah. and so that they do like a grand opening of like the mattress firm or whatever <laughs> and so she's like whatever you want honey well, have she, fun she like she she missed out on her career as a singer and actress or whatever so, so she's like she's like i'm gonna be doing this song that i wrote and i'm gonna stand right in front of this asian chick and i'm gonna sing i want to be ninja it takes want a to, lot of cojones. I mean, not really, because mm. it takes a lack of them to to do something that stupid. 
Oh boy. Uh, funny stuff though. Uh, anyways, cultural yeah. pro- little, little cultural appropriation mm-hmm. there. I like that she did it like in like the really bad Asian accent as well. Yes. I want to be ninja. Like, and that's my so question bad. is like, would it make it better if we didn't try to have the accent? You know, mm-hmm. like if we're not like you know, if we're oh, like yeah. the door, keep out the devil. Yeah, so it's like when you hear these songs, when you hear these white kids singing these black songs, do they put on like an affectation, right? Yeah. They absolutely do because that's like we're trying to be like black people well, you're trying when to we're doing that. that sound right, right. so, so are we of, making fun of them in no, a way no so when we sang in choir class when we sang um soon i will be done with the troubles of the world you can't mm-hmm. say soon i will be done with the troubles of the world no mm-hmm. you don't sing it like that you sing soon i will be done with the troubles of the world the right, troubles the of rhythm. the world the troubles of the world right mm-hmm. i want to be my jesus right you gotta, you've got i want af- to be a ninja yeah you can't sing it like i want to be ninja <laughs> it's gotta be i want to be ninja right, it just right? rings better it just does yeah, yeah, yeah. it just definitely sounds a little bit more Asian. Anyways, all right, listen, we got to run to the commercial break so we can go get the educator, close to the Coralosophy podcast, Chris wants to talk about this. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Click like and subscribe, and we'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. How are you feeling today? Everybody in a good mood? Well, you ought to be. It's Freedom Family Friday. We got two members of the Peterson family. Well, one here with us in studio, the lovely Stephanie Peterson. How are you doing, oh, Steffi? I'm loving all this singing and dancing this morning. Yeah, it's a very music-based show today. Right. I hope everybody's having a good time today. Justin Peterson, my brother. We'll be joining us here in mm-hmm. about uh, 30 minutes from now. We're looking forward to hearing mm-hmm. from him, another member of the Peterson family. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of great show left to go. Do us a favor, click like and subscribe to the channel if today's the first time that you're watching or listening to the Wake Up America show. And you're like, hey, this is a lot of fun. Well, guess what? We do this show five days a week, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. And we'd love to make your acquaintance, be your friend, hang out with us five days a week. So click subscribe so you don't forget who we is. All right, let's rock and roll. All right. So just a few minutes ago, we were talking about cultural appropriation Mm -hmm. on the Wake Up America show, specifically related to music. My brother, Justin, sent me this video uh, that showed a white kid singing, uh, well, I guess you could say an African song, but... Mm -hmm. Turns out the song wasn't really African, and they asked the question, should white kids be singing African songs? I mean, Stephanie, you're a, you're a Jew. Right, right. Should I be singing Christian songs, right? I sang a ton of those I know, and, in my choir and career. And there's always this debate, are we, you know, are Jews white people? I think Adolf Hitler would say no. <laughs> yes, but, but, I, but know, I did but, sing African songs in choir as well, and sang I sang African Latin songs. I sang African songs when mm-hmm. I was growing up. I went to Raypac High School with my buddy Stephen Rue, and we had a great time. And uh, we sang Siahamba Kukanani Kuikos, and we sang uh, mm-hmm. Soon We'll Be Done with the Trouble of the World. And we called them Negro Spirituals. I don't even know if we can call them that anymore. Well, anyways, we spoke to a mu- we're going to speak to a music educator who was reacting to this question of cultural appropriation mm-hmm. on TikTok regarding uh, white kids singing black songs. And he's the host of the Choralosophy podcast. His name is Chris Munts, and he's joining us live right now. What's up, Chris? Hey. How are you doing? Good morning, Petersons. Glad to have you here, Chris. Glad to be here. Uh, so this this you did the reaction video. We played it a little bit earlier, but there is a lot to unpack. So 
let's just start by having you set this up for us, if you will, Chris. Um, what's the what's the beef on TikTok? Uh, white kids singing black songs. Some people find this problematic. Yeah. So the beef is essentially that we're in a in a cultural moment right now where we are, in my opinion, rightly in education, talking about the need to diversify what we teach students. And I actually agree with that perspective. I do think that there are, are legitimate problems over the last 20, 30 years of, about uh, the perspectives that have been taught to students. So we've got that on one side, right? We've got that kind of push to diversify education. But then on the other side, we have this idea, it usually comes from uh, uh, with respect to that content creator, we're talking about an uneducated young white kids, typically, uh, that have this perspective of, well, actually, in order to be respectful to these other cultures, we as white people then should not sing that music, or we should not act out that role in a play, or we should not do whatever it is. And, and there's, so the beef essentially is that I don't see that we can have it both ways. Uh, in a country that is mostly low melanin content people, we can't diversify education and also not allow the whiter students in our classrooms to participate in that or else we're not going to be able to. It's just math. We can't, we can't make their, for example, if I'm a composer of uh, music and I'm a, a black person in America and I'm trying to sell music to, to make my living, of course, I don't want, I don't want to push out 70% of the market. I, I'm going to want those people to also be able to sing my music. And so it comes from, uh, I think, ultimately, a, um, uh, it, it comes from a well-intended misunderstanding of trying to be uh, respectful to other cultures, but then we, we, we conflate things like skin color and culture, which aren't the same. And, and we also don't recognize that sometimes in order to put, like, put ourselves in other people's shoes to develop empathy and all of the benefits of diversity, we have to actually be able to experience each other's culture. So that's essentially what I was trying to do with that video is point out some contradictions. Okay, so it makes sense. Uh, the uh, the question of whether or not we can have a cultural exchange is a touchy one in the modern context, Chris, because now we, there is kind of like a desire for a resegregation, if you will. And this is going to be a big conversation between Justin and I when he comes on here in a little bit, because he lives in Boston. The mayor of Boston is uh, in under fire right now for asking for a no whites allowed Christmas party. Um, Ivy League universities, and mostly this is happening in academia, but of course it's happening in the political world as well. Ivy League universities are having whites only, or excuse me, uh, coloreds only graduation. It, it seems that there's kind of like a reversion, but now it's from the other side of the political aisle that's pushing for a, a sort of a... Um, a, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, it like they're reversing. The, so the reversing of this. Yes, so now but, it's not the majority keeping out the minority. It's the minority keeping out the majority. But a lot of these things, they, they a lot of these cultural trends, they really do originate in the arts. Do they not, Chris? I mean, a lot of these problems that that they start in the cultural world and then they make their way over to politics, don't they? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, yeah, so you mentioned that I, I host a podcast where I, I, my, most of my audience are music educators. It's the largest show related to music education in the world. Oh, that's and great. So I, I, I intersect with um, a lot of this idea that you're talking about. Uh, within, the, within the arts, um, some of the most hyper-identity-focused um, hyper people um, are going to are going to concentrate within the academic sphere, as you mentioned, but then also within the sphere of the arts. 
Now, what I would say, though, it, the, in the, the good news uh, about this is that's not most people. That's actually a very small percentage of people um, who have gotten really good at being loud on social media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so there's, there's a, it's a misconception, in my opinion, uh, the fact that my show is successful while talking with nuance and uh, distinction about these issues like we're doing right now uh, within that sphere is proof of that, in my opinion, where people actually want to understand the difference between black and African, for example. They want to understand that not everything is broken down to, to big, the big five skin colors that were invented in like the 1500s to justify slavery. Like maybe we should uh, not use those categories anymore because they're harmful. Um, and w- instead, I could talk about the, the, the idea with my students that when we sing you mentioned earlier, Suna will be done with the troubles of the world. It's a, 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 an African-American uh, spiritual. And yes, in some contexts, it's still okay to call them Negro spirituals. In fact, the leading academic book on that topic refers to them still in 2023 as Negro spirituals, because that's what they were referred to at the time. That's what and, we called them in 1999 I when I sang them. But that's has that changed? It depends. Like I said, um, it depends on who you're talking to, of whether or not you want to pick that battle um, mm-hmm. of, of somebody being offended. You know, uh, right. it, it 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 depends on who you're talking to and in what context you're talking to them about it um, and whether or not you're having that conversation on social media. Because, again, I mean, that's just where all of the toxicity happens in my experience. Um, but I can teach my students that distinction with if I artfully do it and I explain it because I believe that students deserve to know that just because the the melanin uh, spectrum looks the same from a person from Africa doesn't mean that they culturally share a connection with that with that spiritual sooner will be done, because there is for example in Lee Summit uh, uh, the, in our Kansas City area we have tons tons of African first or second generation students, and that's mm-hmm. changed in the last five or six years. Their parents are African. They are, have African names with African languages, various ones. They don't have a connection to that spiritual, culturally. And it's important, I think, that students understand that we don't uh, take somebody's music and just lump them all together based on what they look like. That's the problem with with prejudice in the first place, is that I assume what you look like will tell me something about you. And, and I think that, that that's that's where a lot of this tension is coming from. Some of those examples you mentioned of, uh, of people trying to segregate by groups, um, it, it just perpetuates a problem that I, I thought in education we were trying to get past. That's a fascinating question. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Uh, I'm joined now in studio by my smoking hot, redheaded libertarian wife, Stephanie Peterson. How are you Hello. doing, Stephanie? Thanks for good. sticking around with us I today. I actually have a question, too. I wonder if this is going on over into like band class and orchestra cr- class as well, because it's like, can you play jazz music? Can you play mm. drum music? You know, are the band kids having this struggle as well, Chris, or is it just a choir thing? That is interesting. Because uh, I have, we've brought that up on my show before too. I've noticed that okay. same thing, and the answer is no. It's a choir thing. It, okay. Like when you talk to you talk to band teachers about this, they will look at you like a deer in the headlights, wondering why you're asking this question. Like it, it's, so it must and, be something about the words. Yes, well, think, but it's got. But right. it's well then then it, then if it's not in the band, then it's got to be in musical theater. Because how could I mean? Could you do this? Sh- could you do the musical showboat? Where like one of the lines is, you know, I've got N word blood in me right now, but you don't say the N word, you say the N word, you know. Sure, <laughs> right. it's all in the accents. How did you? How do you do the Crucible without a black slave playing tichaba? 
You know what I mean? Like it's uh, I'm sure the musical theater kids are probably facing this as well, Chris. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is a musical in musical theater as well. And I think and although I would say that it's not the same as choir and choral music in the sense that when we sing as a choir, we sing, we perform in the collective to tell a story. Um, and in musical theater, of course, it's a little bit different where I'm I'm trying to personally represent uh, a concept or a person or a character. And I think it's it is that does make a distinction. And they've got they've got different concerns, like they've got to sell tickets and they've got to pr- convince people in an audience that the story is real uh, in order to do well and all of that. So there I think uh, let me just say it this way. I'm not a musical theater person. Um, I, I'm I don't envy the dance that they have to dance. I think it's even maybe a little trickier than what we do. Oh, it's way trickier. It's way trickier. Justin <laughs> will comment on that. I'm just thinking about Hamilton, well, the musical, see, and how the thing, all black that people are okay. used It's to okay to go people. one way, but it's not okay to go the other. Right. I mean, isn't that really what's what we're talking about here, Chris? I mean, if you suggested that black kids shouldn't be singing Mozart or singing, you know, some choir arrangement set that was written by a white composer, you'd be laughed out of town. But it really, this only goes one way. It's, I mean, if a, if a Latina kid got up and was singing Soon I Will Be Done in the Trouble of the World, nobody's saying, hey, what's with the Latina kid singing the black spiritual songs? It's really that they have a problem with white people. Let's just say it, Chris. That is correct. And I, and I will, um, yes, in fact, it, it's worse than that. It, it's, I wouldn't be laughed out of town uh, if I told my black students that they can't sing Mozart. I would rightfully, in my opinion, be called a racist and canceled because that would be a horrible thing for me to say. Um, and, the, and what what a cheating, uh, what a way to cheat my students out of a rich education uh, is to tell them that based on what they look like, certain music is not for them. And so the way I'm trying to communicate this is that I refuse to do that to any of my students for any reason uh, ever. In fact, we're going to treat every music tradition that we encounter in my classroom with the same respect that I would treat Mozart which is that there, we're going we're gonna to pull out that spiritual and we're going to learn about its history. We're going to learn about why it sounded the way it sounded. Uh, we're going to learn about why certain dialectical choices were made linguistically, the same way that if I pulled out Mozart, we would be learning about why he wrote certain rhythmic patterns the way he did, uh, why the instruments at that time period sounded like they sounded, so that we could make Mozart sound like Mozart. And so the, ultimately the solution to these things is it comes from whether or not we're willing to treat everybody the same. And you're right, there is a double standard uh, that happens when, uh, but I will say, and I think this is important, uh, when we talk about the they that are doing this, like I said at the beginning, I really, uh, to to the credit of the professionals in my industry, um, these are things that are not coming from black academic musicians. In fact, they are the ones out there oftentimes saying what I'm saying um, which is that, no, we need, like, we need to treat this music like it's, it's music like all of the other things, or else it's not going to survive. In fact, I did an episode very recently with the leader of this, on this topic in the, in the United States, Andre Thomas, who is a black academic. Um, he's retired now, Professor Emeritus, and he's an incredible spokesperson for the idea that everybody should be singing spirituals. In fact, it might be one of American, America's only truly American art forms uh, in how it how it was created originally, and if we don't teach the next generation to sing it, uh, we will lose what was in the late 1800s, which was called America's voice, was the African American spiritual, and we, I, in my opinion, should be taught in school as a critical aspect of our history. And if we don't allow 70% of the country to sing it, we will lose it. 
I mean, let's be honest, Chris, we come from very white communities. We had like one black kid at Ray Peck in 1999 in the choir when we were there. So if we had limited ourselves to only white stuff, I mean, if you look at it and the way you explained it is that it's actually racist to suggest that only white people should sing only white songs, right? Mm -hmm. In some sense, you're, then you're excluding blacks uh, from the community to an extent. You're, you're excluding black music from it. And we're, then we're going backwards to where we were. And, and I mean, yeah. yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's the problem. And, you're, and our communities uh, have diversified a lot. Um, since I was, you and I were in high school, and it's a completely different landscape. The the considerations in the classroom are uh, are so much different than they were then in terms of cultural interaction. And what I've discovered is that in my world, because I'm uh, I, I'm I'm to toot my own horn, I'm good at explaining this to kids. So when hmm. we do this kind of to to do this kind of stuff in my classroom is not a controversial thing. I do not have blowback from parents. I don't have blowback from administrators. I, I get to create my own little bubble of kids who understand why we're doing it. And what if, will you do when the blowback comes? Not if the blowback comes, Chris, when the blowback comes, because it's coming. I'll just explain it to them. And then I will, I will move on and uh, not deal with, I mean, if, it's, if people are mean about it, I just don't deal with it. And, and, that, and that ultimately is um, a choice. And again, it comes back to the, the when you say the blowback will come, it, uh, that's a, I think, again, a commentary on the social media aspect of things. Um, mm -hmm. Because when when people like, there have been parents who reach out to me and say they're concerned with a song here and there over the course of my career, and I will just encourage them to come talk to me. Like, here's my planning period. Um, I'm happy to meet you at this time. I'm happy to meet meet after school. In 100% of those cases, a conversation solves the problem. I needed a teacher like you when I was in choir because um, I was saying at the beginning of the show, when I was in choir, we did a Christian song. We performed it at a church. And because I'm Jewish, my mom didn't feel comfortable with me having a solo talking about Jesus. So she basically made me not do the solo and I had to play an instrument instead. So I wish that you were there to kind of explain those things yeah, to parents like her. Yeah, I told like the her. story, Chris, when my dad was a kid and he grew up in the 50s. My dad was a kid, he's Southern Baptist, and they had a ban on dancing. And so he and my Aunt Carmen had to sit on the side of the gym and they weren't allowed to dance while the other kids danced, mm -hmm. right? But I mean, like, it's through dancing, it's through music, it's through musical theater, it's through the arts that it's probably, sh at least should be, the safest place for a cultural exchange. But now it, it feels as if the well has been poisoned by what I would call wokeism or critical theory which is to divide us against one another because critical theory sees the world as oppressors and oppressed this manifests itself through the arts because the arts are and i say this as someone who has grew up in the arts and has a musical theater degree and has worked in television radio stage my entire life and career but the arts are mostly populated by those who have, and I won't say even a liberal mindset, I would call it a leftist mindset, because I consider myself to some extent a liberal. I'm a libertarian, but I believe in freedom. But the arts seem to me, Chris, to be getting smaller and smaller, and the boxes that we're putting people in, in our ability to creatively express ourselves is being restricted. Take a look at Hollywood films. You know, much of what uh, Hollywood does these days ha is... I think boring because it's considered safe. Is there any room for experimentation or danger 
uh, in the arts anymore? Or does everything have to fit inside these little boxes? Do you feel the walls closing in, Chris? Well, that's a really good, that, that's a good question. And I, I think I'm glad you brought up uh, wokeism and critical theory, because that is something that um, uh, I, you, you, know, you mentioned, or we mentioned at the beginning that the name of my show is Core philosophy. It's got philosophy built right in. And the reason for that is that I'm a nerd and I've been reading about this stuff since way before Trump talked about it and made it political, <laughs> which um, which is uh, essentially that uh, you're, there is a lot of uh, critical theory that gets injected into the arts landscape simply by academics who have approached art from that perspective. Now, on my show, what we try to do uh, is try to point out that a, a critical theory is simply a tool. And I find it very strange in the political landscape that we've now segregated ourselves again into uh, people who are who think critical theory is bad and people who think critical theory cannot be criticized. And those are both very, very weird positions to me as somebody who studied it before it became political, which is that it's like saying, uh, are you against screwdrivers? So you see someone come along and they're they're trying to hammer a nail into a piece of wood with a screwdriver and you say that was pretty dumb and then they say are you against screwdrivers and i would say well no that's a stupid question you just are using the wrong tool and so critical theory is simply a tool it's a way to look at a thing in order to get a certain type of answer back which is to it's like asking an ai a certain type of a question it's going to get you a uh, if you ask a critical theory question it's going to get you a negative answer that's its job. Its job is to look at a system and figure out what's wrong with the system. So if I, I'm not going to get a, a, like America is a great place answer from a critical theorist. That's not their job. Their job well, is my to figure problem, out my, my problem personally with critical theory, we don't have to go into it in too much detail, is just simply that, you know, you have said in your video, and, and I think you hear before essentially to a degree, is that you see race as a as a construct, a social construct to a large degree, because we are all humans and we are all part of the same race, right? So within what we're really talking about are different social constructs. And my problem with critical theory is that it does see race as an intrinsic trait. In many, in many ways, the Nazis and the critical theories agree on the same thing, that we are all uh, uh, genetically tied to some intrinsic qualities that we cannot change the old nature versus nurture argument, which as a philosopher, I'm sure you're aware of. I'm I'm not one who would say completely that we are we are devoid of any kind of racial or genetic traits that that define us to an extent. But I'm much more of a nurture person and a free will person rather than an intrinsic qualities person. But again, that's neither here nor there. I want to give you the last word here, Chris, and to share with us a little bit about the Coralosophy podcast. So for those who have been enjoying this conversation and might be more interested in hearing what you have to say, if they can follow you or subscribe to you. Would you like to share with us a little bit about that before we let you go? Sure. Yeah, and of course, um, my show is uh, geared towards music educators, but I have a pretty large audience of people who are not, and they just are interested in the state of education. They're interested in the philosophies that we intersect with within our world, and I just tell it through my perspective as a music teacher. Uh, you can find it at philosophy.com. You can find it on any podcast player on YouTube as well. Um, and, uh, and and what I would say is that a uh, when you when we try to have these types of conversations on my show, um, it is very important to me to try to see the humanity in everybody on, with every perspective uh, that 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 might come to this topic. And and so I, I really don't see a whole lot a, a whole lot of bad guys here. I just see very, very misled uh, younger generation 
related to these topics. We're not taught. My own kid came to me recently and said, do we have an ethnicity or are we white? And the, oh, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, it's there's so no stupid confusing. questions, but I mean, it's yeah. the, the premise is that it, there's a lot of confusion around these topics, but I, I look forward yeah. to listening to your, your podcast and learning more about your points of view on this, Chris. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Um, keep an eye out for, uh, for uh, more conversations like these. And uh, if you have news stories that you think are, are relevant to what it is we talk about here on the show, please feel free to pitch it because we'd love to have you come back. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank so thanks, you. Chris. He's a music educator, and he is the host of the Choralosophy podcast. We can download on any of your mobile devices. What do you guys think of Chris Muntz? He is so smart. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I agree with him on everything that he was saying oh, there. Really? But yeah, to some extent, I think that... Hmm, I'd be that, curious to well, hear I think what it was a little bit of a misguided view of critical are. theory, for example. Oh, okay. I, I don't understand this. Whole, he's talking about critical race theory, right? Well, yes. So there's okay. critical... Th critical theory actually is more of an umbrella term, and critical race theory is underneath that umbrella. Oh, okay. So I don't really know about critical theory. I've heard critical race theory. Well, here's the thing. My brother, Justin, is uh -huh. going to be joining okay. us here in a about less than 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So Justin actually can probably give us a better working definition mm -hmm. for you as well. So I, okay. I would look it up right now, but honestly, I'm doing a show in the middle of this stuff. So. Oh, it's okay. And I could explain it to you the best I could, but I would like, I would hate to get something wrong. So I want to make sure that I get it right. So while well, sure. we go to commercial break here in about yeah, five minutes. I mean, minutes. it's all just such complex stuff, mm -hmm. way too complex for even children mm -hmm. in school to understand. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, right. I think, you know, they're going to have to grapple with ideas and kids mm -hmm. are always going to be the ones who set the culture, especially when it comes to the culture of the arts. Uh, you know, young people are always going to be the ones who set the music uh, culture. They're always going to be the ones who who define what culture is. That's just that's mm -hmm. that's what kids do. Right. They they yeah. define online culture, for example. Yeah, I'm um, just trying to think back to my choir days. I mean, I don't think anybody ever like questioned our teacher about why we were singing certain things. It was the parents, obviously, that probably had certain issues. But Mm -hmm. Us as kids, like we never put up a stink about these things. Well, we didn't think about race and things like no. that. But I mean, here's the thing: what was the what was the genealogical makeup of the schools that you went to? They were very diverse. They, the ones oh, I went did. to. Oh yeah. Not oh mine. yeah. I went to the International Academy, which was uh, a high okay. school filled with German, Russian, Black, Muslim. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you had everybody there. Mm -hmm. um, and same with in elementary school too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had very diverse, like Indians. That was my main group of friends. Uh, Chaldeans, right? Indians. I I hung out with the Indians. Chaldeans were there too, but okay. I, I was with the Indians. All right. Well, speaking of critical yes. race theory, the mayor of Boston, <laughs> where my brother lives, is under fire for uh, for letting the cat out of the bag that she was having a no whites allowed Christmas party. Let's take a listen to how she's re responding I think we've, to this. We've had individual conversations with everyone so people understand that it was truly just a, an honest mistake that went out in, in typing the email field. And um, I look forward to celebrating with everyone at the holiday parties that we will have besides this one as well. So um, it is my intention that we can, again, um, be a city that lives our values and create space for all kinds of communities to come together okay she's so tactful with her words yeah she is i look forward to all of the other parties besides this one she's married to a white man by the way so i guess he would not have been allowed at given the some of the party. strife Here that exists go. though in this council yeah. are you concerned this lends itself at all to further divisiveness no i mean um again this is a a, a group that has been in place for many many years we want to be a city where everyone's identity is embraced and that there are spaces and communities that we can help support.
Give him some of the strife that exists. Okay. Okay, the, the word spaces is very triggering for me. Because <laughs> whenever I go to a social work continuing education seminar, yeah. they talk about space. I'm honored yes, to be a part sir. of this group. It is a long-standing community group that um, has grown in recent years here in Boston and Massachusetts. It's the electeds of color group is what she's talking about. So the, the people who are invited to the Christmas party. The Con Congressional Black Caucus or the Black and Latino uh, elected officials at Legislative Caucus at the State House. This is one that spans all levels of government and um, is a space for people to build coalitions and represent communities. There are many, many such coalitions that exist and each one should have their own space to connect and build and do that work and, and except for the white people right so and spaces everyone are should have their own space everyone Ugh. should have their own space except for the white people whites only party not allowed colors yes let's hear from justin about this he can clear up the critical, the critical theory question he'll talk about his mayor who sucks we'll talk about that on freedom family friday when we get back on the wake up america show at wakeupamericashow.com Siya hamba kuka nain kwekos. 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 Siya hamba, hamba siya hamba, hamba siya hamba kuka nain kwekos. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. Sad. I wish I could have as much rhythm as Africans. Like, I am envious. You're Jewish. I you wrote every that. damn good Christmas song that there is. Good morning. I want the hip action. I, I want the voice. All of it. <laughs> Welcome to Wake Up America show. It's time to rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson, your black choir spiritual leader. Sing a few Negro spirituals this morning with my lovely Jewish wife. Hello. We're very diverse here in the morning. How are you doing, Stephanie? You still trying to control the world with your oh, I'm Jewish doing great. I'm and... just trying to think of like Jewish songs other than I have a little dreidel. Dreidel. Really I made you out of clay. Had a little dreidel. Nobody can like culturally appropriate Ooh, us. Really. My, wife, my smoking hot redheaded libertarian <laughs> wife, Stephanie Peterson. Nagila. There we go. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's the Wake Up America show where everything is offensive, and if you don't have a thick skin, you are in the wrong place, bro. Welcome to the Wake Up America show where on Freedom Family Friday, we bring in members of the Peterson family. One, two, and three. Justin Peterson joining us live from Boston, Mass. What's up? Hello. How you doing, JP? I'm doing good. Happy uh, Friday. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Aren't you coming here in like a few days? Yeah, I am. I'm there on, on Monday. Crazy. Crazy. I know. Glad to have you here, Justin. Appreciate Thanks. you very much. Thanks for having me, and I was excited to get the invite. One of my favorite songs that I used to sing in choir with Mr. Orr, our teacher, rest in peace, was uh, Elijah Rock, one, two, soon I will be done with the troubles of the world, mm -hmm. and three, Siahamba, Siahamba yeah. Kuka Nine Quakos. Mm -hmm. We really loved singing those Negro spirituals. And when we sang them, we sang them with an affect affectation that might get us run out of town or maybe invited to a Christmas party in Boston. <laughs> I am dead. I'm dead. Uh, oh, how did that woman get elected? Did you vote for her, Justin? I did you not did have any say in that whatsoever. <laughs> I had no okay, say. Good. Zero give us your say. reaction to give us your reaction before we talk about your idiot mayor, oh uh, my gosh. Justin. 
<laughs> Let's hear your reaction to Chris Muntz. He's a music educator, the host of the Choralosophy podcast. His take on what's happening in music, specifically white kids singing black kids songs. Well, what, I, what I love, well, first of all, I have to admit my bias that I'm a big fan of Chris. And I think Chris is as a bulwark against a lot of, he's bringing to a dialogue which lacks oftentimes nuance and um, depth. Uh, he brings that with his work, and I think that's one of the reasons why I admire him so much, because people who want to make these superficial arguments about, you know, these very, very shallow arguments, um, I can't with that stuff. Because, you know, as you were saying, I also am a person who grew up in a musical environment, again, which was mm -hmm. largely rural Missouri, white, but we did a lot of um, African American music. Uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain, by the way, is an African American oh, spiritual. Oh, I love that song. You know, that, yes. that Go Tell It on the Mountain is a is a is a spiritual. Uh, we also did oh, somebody. It's an African spiritual. Yeah, it's an African American spiritual. Oh. Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go wow. Tell It on the Mountain. And so when we would I do that, it was like a white Christian person song. No, I never knew that. no, that's that's wow. absolutely an African. Uh, about, a little uh, too much soul for the Gosh. white Christian yeah. there. So. And the um, interesting the Fisk singers. We should look those up. There was a one a black ensemble choral ensemble in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s that would go around the Fisk singers, F I S K, and they would go and sing these, and they had made um choral music they brought that music all over the country um no but i love chris's you know he really i think is logical i mean people who use logic oh man my i mean those are, i'm in their fan club um but i think that the other thing that was um not mentioned too was the idea about style in other words when you perform music in a particular way what you're really trying to do is match the style of the song so that if mm -hmm. somebody heard it they would see or hear that that's stylistically correct because in music as a musician, one of the things we're always trying to do, no matter what we do in music, is try to be as stylistically true to the music as we possibly can be. Um, and that we don't, uh, for example, perform music out of style. This is happening, this is also in classical music, right? I mean, there is difference between a composer like a Mozart and a composer like Giacomo Puccini, for example. They are both classical uh, composers, but their styles are very different and you have to perform them in different ways. So um, it's not mocking to deliver a performance in a stylistically correct way. I mean, and so I think Okay, I was actually wondering that. I was like is it less offensive if we just like be the white people that we are and sound white? No, because I think you know, when, when and, like, we know, yeah, like we yeah. normally do. Yeah, cuz I mean, I think sometimes you'll hear performers like for example on on voice competition shows where a white huh. performer comes out and they kill uh, let's say an African and our black song, right? And it's like, holy crap. It's right. like that person was a, what made them really good was that they mastered the style, right? That mm -hmm. they sound authentic. That's, that's, that's what really captures an audience is the authenticity. When you have a bunch of white kids going, you know, go tell it on the mountain. What you have is not right. necessarily a racial issue. You have a style issue that the, the, the style <laughs> is off. So it has nothing to do with race and it has everything to do with stylistically authentic performance mm -hmm. it's interesting if you're just tuning in the wake up america show good morning thank you andy opperman for dropping 10 bucks in the tip oh, jar thank you andy he you're says, always so sweet to andy us. is very very generous he says welcome back to the show justin thank you yeah. very much for that Ooh. and solorio just dropped ten dollars in as well and oh says goodness. thanks for what y'all do we appreciate oh, that that's thank a new you. name in the chat it is ashley thank and you. eight also joining us here as well nice to see you okay so the choir thing we've got so many topics to get I through know. justin then I'm, I'm gonna move on to the next one you know what Here's the thing. Why do you think that there is this? I would say that people of color feel as if white people cannot understand the minority experience. 
because if a white person played Othello, people would say, that's ridiculous. But when a black person plays Hamlet, it's just considered to be like a different take on it, right? Like, can a black person understand the experience of the aristocratic founding fathers of the, you know, of the late 18th century and the American Revolution to create a musical like Hamilton to, mm -hmm. can they understand what it's like to be Alexander Hamilton? Can, can a poor black person in the inner city truly understand what it feels like to be Thomas Jefferson, a polymath who owned slaves and created a country and wrote the Declaration of Independence? If so, can a white person understand the experience of a Moor in, you know, 13th century, uh, wherever, you know, Othello was set, you know, at the time, like, is this, is there a belief culturally that we just can't understand one another's experience or that, that white people can't understand the experiences of minorities, but that road does go the other way. Minorities can understand our experiences. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of, of, of standpoint epistemology, which is basically means that because of particular markers, you have access to knowledge that other people can't get access to. Um, this happens in all markers, whether it's uh, black, white, Asian, gay, straight, Jewish, whatever. It's like this idea that I've got access to a particular knowledge that other people can't have access to. And I'm, I just don't think as a person who values knowledge and truth that that's actually a thing. You might have experiences, right? Which they call lived experiences, which I just call experiences. Because uh, nobody has a dead experience. <laughs> I've never known anybody well, be like, do, but there are, we, but there are how else can you have an experience if you're not living? Uh, you're dead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can really understand each other. Nobody can understand well, each like, other. You know, we try. Jewish we try. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah we, this is know. my whole thing, though. That's what the arts is for. Though this is where I get philosophical because my whole my whole philosophy about the arts is that the arts allows us to see things and to experience things to foster connection and empathy in a way that if you like, for example, I think about like the book Anna Karenina. Okay, so I'm gonna go full like art, you know, you're gonna be like, Oh, Lord, Anna Karenina, Tolstoy in the morning. Yeah. So if you read about the story of Anna Karenina in the newspaper, you'd be like, Oh, what a floozy. She stepped out on her husband. She left her kid. She's trash. So if you read about her She's in the newspaper, <laughs> you'd hate her. But then if you read the story of Anna Karenina, and you look at all the factors and the circumstances that led to her her actions, suddenly you get empathy. And then suddenly that empathy enables you to broaden your sense of who you are as a person, to say to yourself, gee, you know, if I was in the same situation, I might do the same thing. The ancient Greeks knew this. And that's one of the reasons why theater was considered to be a civil good, because it was a way for people to look at themselves collectively and say, man, I might sleep with my mom if the circumstances were, you know, were, were specific, you know? No, like Oedipus, you know, like the Oedipus, story of Oedipus, I mean, Oedipus, you know, yeah. who slept with his mother. That's why actors so much, because they're able to truly, like, get in the mindset of the person that they're portraying. But like, right. Justin, we always played, when, when we were growing up in, in shows and musical theater, and certainly you're still in that world, we always played characters sure. that we were not. I mean, other that's than the whole like, idea. you know, the that's romantic right. ingenues. That's right. that's right. But those were always the most boring characters. Well, I mean, this the, has the, always the, been my argument about the gay thing. Because it's like you say, well, only a gay person can play a gay role. I'm like, that's horse patootie. Like, that's just bullcrap. You know, like, I want to see Heath Ledger do that part. So, like, hire oh, the I best. I loved him and broke back. I know. Mountain. Hire the best person for the part, you know. And the Dallas Buyers Club with right. uh, Matthew McConaughey yeah, exactly. playing exactly. a gay AIDS right. patient, right. and yeah. he was not gay at all. Because let's also get real that like gay people have been playing straight for a long time. 
So, you know, I like, come on, like, we've got experience. We can share that. We can share that experience. Gay. Who? Next, you'll tell me Liberace was gay. Oh, no, he was, he was a whole, he was a hetero all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, who was the, who was the famous actor that was the case where he was always like a closet case? Rock Rock Hudson. Hudson. Rock Hudson, yeah. Yeah. And he he died of AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. American, like, and wasn't he like best friends with Ronald Reagan? Oh, I think he, yes, he was. Wasn't That's Rock right. Hudson That's right. the one? Wasn't Rock Hudson the one who, like, because he made friends with Nancy Reagan, Nancy Reagan was the one who, she softened her stance on the AIDS no, pandemic. No, she did in the not. 80s. Actually, that's that. She did no, not. No. Well, maybe it was it was Reagan, but I think Rock Hudson had some influence on them. I well, I mean, this is where story, I go but... like full crazy on Reagan because you know the HIV/AIDS crisis started in 1981. I mean, when first the New York Times, uh, I think it was July of 81, where they finally were like, "This is weird. We're finding this weird virus." Um, and it took uh, until 1988 for Reagan to even say the word AIDS. So yeah. the, re- the reason that Rock Hudson got involved in that was because Rock Hudson was in a, in a uh, Parisian a hospital and needed to be transferred to an Amer- some other, maybe an American hospital or something. There was some other hospital that he needed to get access to for his treatment. And the only way that they could figure out that they could get it somehow him over into that other hospital was to reach out to Nancy Reagan in the White House because they were old Hollywood friends, right? Uh, and him for him to say, can you, you know, help me get into this other hospital? And Nancy Reagan set back, uh, uh, you know, a memo basically saying something effective, like, well, you know, the White House doesn't really want to get involved in this. So it was kind of like they were like, sorry, Rock, we, you know, we're, we're going to we, we don't want to be associated with, you know, you. Meanwhile, of course, you know, you know, as well as I do, Reagan and Nancy Reagan both. Uh, were surrounded by homos in Hollywood. Come on. Like, you know, really? it wasn't. Oh, yeah, because he was. An come actor. on. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. You know, so For I mean, sure. I'm like. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If you're just tuning in the Wake Up America show, be ready to be offended. I'm <laughs> Peterson. This is my wife, Stephanie, uh, and my brother, Justin. And we're basically uh, everything that is offensive in the world. A Jew, <laughs> a gay, and a white straight guy. So, you oh, know, Lord. you don't get more offensive than the three of you're us. You're a cis man. A cis, white, straight, hetero, gay, yes. whatever. Right, right. So can't we blame this on Anthony Fauci, by the way? But anyways, <laughs> Just it's it's Freedom Family Friday. We're we're hanging out with my brother Justin and my wife Stephanie, and we're all having fun. We're all Petersons, spelled S E N. We are immediate family. Danish, yes. Which and is a Danish culture, family. by the way. <laughs> a culture, not a race. Um, a, yeah. Justin, your mayor sucks. A oh, big man. one. And but it's a uh, you know since I'm on a podcast, I can say this. It's a white dick that she sucks. Um, she's married to a white guy. <laughs> Oh my oh, god. Same with AOC. What is it? All she, these powerful women. She has a, a colored my dad's probably mad at me for saying a bad word, but <laughs> but it's she was having a no whites allowed Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Uh but she is married to a white guy. So, you know, racial justice in the streets and oh. colonized in the sheets, oh, eh? Man. Oh, man. Now it wasn't it that it was a, it wasn't supposed to get out. So wasn't that the it's like I, I'm not mad I got the cookie. I'm just mad I got caught with the cookie, my hand in the cookie jar. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she's not upset that she that she was doing it. She's upset she got in trouble. Caught, right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so it's okay to segregate people in secret? Yes. Yeah, as long as you do it, yeah, under the radar. Well, what's funny to me about this whole situation is, you know, obviously, you you know, we've talked about this idea about power, right? So much of the critical theory ideas that you were talking about earlier, you know, center themselves in power and who has power and how is that power being used? These are the ruling class. This isn't like, you know, the impoverished of Dorchester here in Boston. These are the elected ruling class of Boston doing this. So these aren't the oppressed, the oppressors and the oppressed, right? These are the oppressors because they're the government yeah. ruling class. So that argument on its face falls off, you know, because it's just, it's, it's like, you are the ones with the power. 
you are the ones with the power. Uh, but what kills me is obviously that people will in this town will go along with that and be like, well, but that's the right thing to do. That's totally right, the right thing to do. It's like, am I living in the upside down? Because that's really kind of how it feels. You know, it's like, this isn't right to segregate people, period. Um, I thought we were past this. Um, but yeah, I think she's a, she's a joke. I'm like, fix the tea. The transportation system in the system in this city is literally next to like third world like levels. It's so bad. And for them to fix it in this town, $25 billion it would take for them to just like fix the T, the transit system. People can't get to work. People live in this community in this city and they cannot go to and from work in a timely fashion. They cannot expect to get on a publicly funded transit system and get to and from work in a timely fashion. So what do they end up doing? They all end up driving. Which, what does that do to the city? That congests the traffic in the city because now everyone's on the road. It's, I'm like, fix the inherent structural problems of the city before we start playing, you know, patty cake, patty cake, you know, uh, and having these cotillions, these racial cotillions. And I'm so over it. It was funny because during the pandemic, you know, there were, uh, you know, all these riots, racial riots that were occurring across the country. Uh, and you would see videos of asian people being violently attacked by blacks and the narrative from leftist asians was that this was white supremacy right that the reason that the violence that was being committed against asians was somehow because of white supremacy is that where your mayor is coming from? I mean, is is that probably her view? The is conflict, like, the conflation you know, she also. a black guy come and slap her in the face. No, I mean, it's also like with the supremacy. idea about the Transgender Day of Remembrance, right? Like the, the, this whole thing. It's like 26 transgender people died in the United States. And yet we're being told it's a genocide. The people that are being killed are usually killed by people they know, right? And, and, and they're not being killed by like some random like affluent like white dude walking down the street who's like, oh my God, I'm going to kill that transsexual. Like that doesn't happen. So it's a narrative. They're usually killed by their boyfriends. They're killed like by their boyfriends members. or they're killed by in, in drug or they're drug, drug dealers. Exactly. So there's always, there's not like people, there, people are leaving trans people alone in most general situations, right? Yeah. But this yeah. idea white of like there's a genocide. There's going a, down, yeah. White guards aren't going down and hanging out in, in the cold in Chicago in the middle of the night down, downtown looking for transgenders right. and looking for uh, what's his name? Um, who was the guy who did the fake hate crime? Oh yeah, Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett. Jesse yeah. Smollett. Yeah, they're not walking around with MAGA hats, carrying nooses, no. looking for guys, I mean, black most guys, people, and transgenders Austin, coming out most of subway. People, uh, let me just get real. Most people don't care. Like most people need to go to job. They need to go to work. They got to feed their kids. They got to live. You know, find out live the best way they know how to live. Live and let live. Most people just don't care. You know. Um, it, but it's it's this idea of like i've got to push a story that a story has to be pushed and if a story is goes against the you know the, if reality is against the story well then we have to memory hold the reality right we have to forget that the reality oh no don't no, forget that so yeah, i mean i really think most of the homophobia and racism happens behind closed doors you know at like yeah. family dinners you oh, know sure. where your loved ones are using the n-word and yes. talking bad about gay people it's like yeah. that's where it happens that's exactly they right. don't usually take it Isn't outside it really racist to just say a racial slur or to tell a racial joke isn't doesn't racism have to actually impact someone right like isn't racism like I'm not hiring you because you're black. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think if I'm in a group of people and somebody tells a really, truly racist joke, I think that that to to any person who is 
liberal minded, I think that is offensive. And, you know, no, no, I, no. when I have I a do. family member no. that, yeah. that uses the N word, usually it makes me think a little differently about that person. I agree. Same. Depends. It depends on the context. Depends, oh no, right? I the don't. Context. I, if they're very serious no. about it racist and they're jo- using it as like a true the term. Jokes. Like, well, you, here's yeah. the thing: Mexicans the problem, racist jokes. They're hilarious. The problem is, is though that the, we there's racism 1.0 and then there's racism 2.0, and mm-hmm. I think what what racism 2.0 does is that it it softens out what's really the real problem, which is racism 1.0, right? Like the OG version of racism. So about like a, a first world problem. Well, racism, but you know, right? the other thing is, is that it's such a third rail issue. I mean, I just think about myself like two years ago, I couldn't even have this conversation with you two years ago because it is such a hot button, hot topic issue that I would have felt like I was going to literally step on a landmine and explode. And I sure. think that's part of the problem is that to, to, to silence people or to uh, kill dialogue is a bad thing. But like I said, you know, I feel like we were going in a really good direction with, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, you can go back and look at footage of the nineties and the eighties and be like, wow, look at people just like coming together and like, people don't give a crap and they're just like mixing and people are just like doing their thing. We were on the right track. And then somewhere towards the, the end of the eighties, it's, it started with, you know, I'm offended because you made a misogynist joke. And it was, it was the postmodern feminism that started to come to the forefront women in the workplace let's break the glass ceiling hillary clinton like well let's, let's here's the, the thing it's, it's, it goes to this idea which is the idea that if i can tell you that i'm offended i can control your speech at the end Correct. of the day exactly That's, george carlin had a joke about that he's like being saying you're offended is really just i want you to shut up and i'm trying to control you exactly it's really an effort right. to control well, offense yeah and that's why like racist jokes i don't like you know, get offended about things like that, because I know that if I do, then they can control me. Like right. if somebody's trying to do it to gin me up, if they're trying to get me angry and like, trust me, you know, somebody, you know, Stephanie's Jewish. And during the whole Israel Hamas conflict, people were flinging, I, I would say racist, but you know, Jews are not a race. Uh, they're flinging, you know, ethno jokes and, and r- racial hate at us. And I, you know, I can't, I don't respond. I don't engage. I don't fight with those people because I know that that gives them power over me. But if someone is actually making a Jewish joke, I mean, there are a lot of very funny Jewish jokes. Yeah, there's a difference between joking and being serious. So like the family members I'm talking about, you know, that I've, I've seen at family dinners, those people are being serious. There is real hate behind a lot of these things. It's cruelty. But you are not going to have like, you you know, Justin, you and I said, you know, we did not go to work and hang out with the Mexicans that we worked with you know, on the job site and not hear funny jokes about Mexicans or blacks or whites. Great like jokes we, are fine. Yeah. yeah. And they were always kidding, right? They right. were always joking. They yeah. weren't hateful. No, no, they no. were just, they were, they were racist jokes, but right. it wasn't, it right. didn't come from a position. Well, of because hate. we also, I mean, they, I hate to say, I hate to say like Pollyanna, but we loved each other. And I think that they're like coworkers and things who love each other and they tease each other, you know, and it's like they they take it on the chin because they realize that their relationship is not really predicated on those extenuating external factors. Right. So you exactly. can have that kind of like bonhomie and you can have like that teasing, you know, and that's actually one of the things in the 80s with comedy that made the 80s so much fun. And it actually alleviated a lot of racial tension because when you can laugh at something, right. When there's laughter and it's like we're sharing in on the joke, it makes people feel more comfortable and like eat at ease. And I do believe that laughter is a healing thing. You know, it makes people feel better. It caught, you know, it's, it's, yeah, laughter is good for, for us. Sure. 
Oh, yeah. if, you, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Uh, the, today is Freedom Family Friday. I know that we're on the front page of Rumble.com, so thank you to Rumble for that. And for many of you, you're probably watching us for the very first time, and we're grateful and glad to have you here. Would you do me a favor and click that like button and subscribe to the channel here on Rumble? We stream this show every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, so we'd love to have you come back and join us. Uh, Freedom Family Friday means that it's Peterson's all the way down. So. My wife, Stephanie, joining us right now. Nice Hello. to see you, Stephanie. And my brother, Justin Peterson, who's joining us live right now from Boston. We're grateful to have him here on the show as well. So we basically, this show is mostly offensive. Like, <laughs> it, it, everything that we talk about is offensive for the most part. Uh, we're offensive people. Uh, just our I don't believe I offend people. Well, you're a Jew, so yeah. everybody hates you, right? But <laughs> the thing is, is that is that this if if you are thin skinned if if talking about religion or sex or relationships or politics or culture or racist jokes or 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 Jewish jokes or if any of this stuff offends you you are in the wrong place and I hate to tell you that I don't I don't like to run people off but this is really a podcast for people who have thick skin because there are no sacred cows here there are only sacred statues apparently to gods like or to satan in Iowa, or there were until someone ripped it down. Latest news yeah. out of Iowa is that there was a statue to a god, or I guess a demon, Baphomet. It's called a Satanist statue, but it's really to some demon that's, you know, that's, I guess, named in the Bible. But the Satanist church, which is, you know, a legitimate church in, um, you know, put together in Iowa, had a Baphomet statue put mm -hmm. in the Capitol as a means to troll Christians during the holiday. Oh, it's in the Capitol? It was. Like an actual government building. Yes. Oh. Right. Well, because, and, and this was oh, organized by the Satanic Church, uh, who put it together as a means to say, well, if we have religi religious freedom, and if you're going to put your religious cap yeah. sign in the building, then we're going to have our religious sign in the building. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently some guy from, I think, Oklahoma or whatever. Oh, Iowa. We, Iowa. Well, no. Oh, oh, Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. Yes. So this guy from Mississippi <laughs> was there. He was upset. He was a Christian and he went out and he destroyed the statue mm -hmm. in an act of, I guess, heroism or villainy, depending on how you feel about this. But yeah. uh, Justin, uh, are you ready to offend everyone who's listening? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, first of all, the Church of Satan isn't that what it's or the satanic church what is that what is the name yeah. of it is that yeah, what yeah. it all yeah well, i think they're yes. they're down this they're up the street for me i think they're up in uh what is it maine or new hampshire or vermont they're up there north uh there's a very, there's a very funny documentary actually about them uh, about how they go around doing this because people will put up like the ten commandments or they put up different things like that in in public uh, spaces that are taxpayer funded so then the, they come in and they go oh well if you can do that let's just uh we'll do ours too and that's kind of the point Right. And they're kind of trying showing a loophole. They're kind of demonstrating a loophole in the in the in the system where it's like, well, we're going to favor one uh, religion or or over another one. I, I mean, obviously, I feel like if you if you if you like, I thought, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I'm laughing in my in my mind because I thought tearing down statues was bad. I thought like the right, you know, the, the Republicans were against tearing down statues. So, Ooh, but Justin, this is Ms. different. Jefferson, it's not different. a satanic oh, it's, it's, people. That's different. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is a man of God. Uh, well, he's oh, deist, not but, uh, really. He was a deist, but okay, try it. Well, deo, deo, quest <laughs> fanning dropped. Uh, 
Two close betting drop two bucks in the tip jar. Thanks, Quest. He says, but you're each one of the good ones, he says. Yes, we do get away with being uh, heretics and being, um, you know, radicals because of the fact that we're not on, we're not leftists. No, but I did run a poll last night uh, on my Twitter account and I asked my, my audience, would you rather vote for a communist Christian or uh, an atheist libertarian? And the atheist libertarian ran away with it. A lot of people were saying you can't be a Christian and a communist, but yeah, communism says no religion, right? Official communism, yeah. But mm. it's just like a lot of things. It's like, what's official? Is there such a thing as official Christianity? No, because mm. there's hundreds of different right. types of right. And people were saying, oh well, you're not a you. You can't be a communist and be a Christian, but. There is liberation theology. There are Christian socialists. I mean, the people who wrote the the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, for example, the Bellamy brothers, they were Christian socialists. And mm. Christian socialism has been a movement that's been around in the United States a lot longer than libertarianism has been around in the right. United States. Right. Um, so the question, you know, I asked that question, and I think people people answered to the extent they would rather live in a society under governed by a person who would allow them to have freedom of religion rather than to live in kind of the dull gray, you know. Uh, well, here's where I have to say, you know, there. The, I've been reading a lot about, I've been reading a lot of Christian, conservative Christian, um, just books, right? Because I'm just interested mm -hmm. to see what they have to say. The Christians hate the Enlightenment. They hate it. Because Christianity was the first time that Christianity was ever challenged as a system of governance or a system of, of, of walking in the world. The Enlightenment was the first thing to throw off the fetters of, of religion and say, no, we, we're going towards a more humanistic direction. So it's amazing to see how many Christian uh, authors are so anti-Enlightenment, which is funny to me, because I'm just like, uh, okay, what's your alternative? Well, we know what that is, it's theocracy. So um, George Washington was a Christian and he was uh, you know, a, a member of the Enlightenment, but- I, I mean, that's the thing too, like, I don't think people understand that our country was founded in, in a particular time in a particular understanding of reality, in a particular understanding of philosophy, and that was the Enlightenment. That was what was. That is what our foundational uh, governance is, and that's why when what people is are the like Enlightenment, I'm sorry, I'm not. So really the Enlightenment aware. was it a was, was a philosophy. It's pushed back against the the Christian, yeah, the 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 moral authoritarianism and, right. and the 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 non separation of church and state, essentially, right. to yeah. a large degree. Okay, you know? so and the Enlightenment. The, the Enlightenment in, in the wanted United to States. do uh, the separation of church and yeah, state. Yeah, the United okay. States got lucky because during our American Revolution, our founding fathers were not able to put together a winning coalition in the United States without the Jews, without the uh, Baptists. They had to create a freedom of religion here in the United States or else they could not have won the American Revolution because, yeah. they, and so it was literally just, it was a political move that they that they created a separation of church and state. Right. But in France, they had to have a bloody violent revolution. Right. They had to actually murder priests and, oh, and yeah. kill them and kick them out of the church because they would not, they, they and it happened in Japan as well during World War II. At the end of World War II, we had to threaten the Japanese with destroying all of their temples if they did not separate church and state. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't until the Cold War in the United States that American uh, religion started to become weaponized because of the fear of communist atheism. But yeah, even our George Pledge Washington of Allegiance. Write some letter to the Jewish people. Hmm? I remember George Washington wrote a letter to the he Jewish did. people. Yes, because they were yes. afraid, because the Jews were afraid that we were going to establish a theocracy in the yes. United States based, the yes. government based on the Christian okay, religion. Okay, but George sense. knew, Washington knew that he needed the Jews as part mm -hmm. of the coalition to fight back against the British. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and to create the government of the United States, they wanted buy in from all of the religious denominations. Well, right, yeah, right, even Jefferson himself in that what at the Treaty of Tripoli said that the new United States is in no way founded upon the Christian religion. I mean that's Thomas right. Jefferson. So yeah, I no, mean Adams. 
Was it John Adams or was it Thomas Jefferson? Yeah, John Adams was the one who wrote the Treaty of Tripoli uh, for uh, underneath Thomas Jefferson's presidency. Oh, okay. When they fought, uh, but they the the Treaty of Tripoli did, did say specifically that they saw it as that way. But they were they were enlightened Christians. It's just modern Christians, and and I would say in large part it had to do with the Cold War, Justin, mm. from the 1950s until today. The fear of communist atheism or atheistic communism. Uh, led the modern church to become radicalized and for a new form of Christian nationalism to arise mm. that is inherently hostile and exclusionary to a view of a separation of church and state yes. that we pioneered with the Enlightenment. Am I correct? No, you're right. I think that's what Christian nationalism is, right? So the, you know, I, the idea, the fair, equal, you know, the idea is that if it's on taxpayer money, you know, there is an equal, there is what is an establishment clause, right? Which Christians also don't like by the way, you know, because it's a, it's an impediment, right? Everybody's working their angle as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? Everybody's working their angle. So, you know, if you're going to put up a statue of, of, you know, you can't be mad, you cannot be mad about a statue of Baphomet getting torn down and then in the same breath, turn around and look at being upset about a nativity scene being torn down. Like, absolutely. You can't like, and you I just, wonder, not if you're consistent, not if you're consistent, well, you can be, you can be mad, but you can't, but you won't be you consistent, know, be, but you can't right, also say yeah. that you're against the separation of church and state or for it or whatever. Well, Adele, like, it deals a lot with like a lot of anxiety. So like Christians ever since their beginning have had a persecution complex, right? Because they were persecuted in their foundation. But like I yes. heard somebody say today, like Christianity is the most persecuted religion. And I'm like, have you been like, where are you living? Like, but also like when the colonies were around, right? In the earlier days of the colonies, you had a lot of warring factions of Christians against each other in the colonies, right? They were going at each other. It was more like, is, is, is America going to be Anglican? Is America going to be Lutheran? Is America, go it was that these were all the factions that were fighting. And then the government was like, you know what? We don't want to put any of y'all in charge of the government. You know, and that was the great fear when JFK got elected, was that he was going to make well, the whole thing Catholic, right? I'm going to give this to you, Stephanie, but I mean, when the Constitution was drafted, they were like, and it, it had to go to the states to be ratified. There was no way that the Constitution would have been ratified amongst the many states if it endorsed one particular religion no or way. another, because you had the Pennsylvania Quakers, you had the Southern Baptists, and it was just, it was never going to happen. No. Stephanie wants to weigh in, yeah. Wondering if I'm misunderstanding the separation of church and state and exactly what it entails. So it's like, can any religious symbols be put in government buildings? Is that allowed with separation of church and state? Technically, oh, no, because it's an Depends. endorsement of religion. That's the whole thing about it. It's right. that that the so state cannot endorse one. Trees, yeah, right. Well, that's a funny well, thing we, because, like, hmm. all the, Christmas all, trees were not explicitly Christian. No, uh, actually, right. they're it's a pagan thing. Yeah, they were, yeah. But well, is pagan a religion? Yes, it is? Pagan, okay. pagan is a religion, right? So yeah. my thing is, is that I honestly feel like either let everybody have their their statues in the, in yeah. there, or let nobody have them. That's my and preferably just preferably nobody, right? So like preferably just like why can't you just do the people's business? Why does everything there. like there can, you know like would, wouldn't you think that if somebody got up there and started giving a speech about Islam and Allah that we'd all roll our eyes and be like, can we please move on? Like, so we right. can actually talk about the business of the people. Right. But it's, but there's an anxiety there. And remember, religion gives you power. Mm -hmm. Religion is about authority and power, right? To, to give to the priests. And I'm reading this fantastic book right now that talks about the rise of, uh, of Nazism in the Balkans and like a lot of the anxiety against the intellectuals, which were the Jewish community in, in Serbia and Bosnia and Croatia. Uh, and, and the reason why Hitler uh, was so popular in, at that time is because the, the priests had so much power 
over the congregants in their population, and specifically, you know, Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, they had so much power over the flock. Mm. But when the Jews arrived and said, well, Jesus wasn't actually the son of God, and your priests are taking advantage of you, and they are putting you in a position that is subservient to them, and perhaps you ought to rise against the priestly class, and perhaps you ought not be taxed by them, and perhaps there should be a separation of church and state. You could understand why anti-Semitism would become so prevalent, and why the priestly class would be the first ones to say, we got to get rid of these Jews. <laughs> we got to get rid of these people because they deny our gods, and they want to upset our social order, which is one of a non-separation of church and state. I mean, for God's sakes, like, listen, the French Revolution was a terrible port of American history, uh, excuse me, of European history, a terrible part of world history, uh, a bloody uh, anarchy and and revolution and violence and, and, and uh, uh, you know, l'enfant terrible. But they had to, they had to separate church and state. And if you cannot do separate church and state, through peaceful means, and the Re American Revolution was, you know, mostly peaceful, if you will, mm -hmm. then it has to be done through violence, because I should not be taxed to pay for somebody else's religion. If I was being taxed to pay for imams, I would be, and for God's sakes, we are with our foreign policy and the money we send to Iran, for God's sakes, which is total bullshit, right? Then it's worth fighting. Like, it's worth fighting. Freedom, uh, separation of church and state is worth killing for. Mm. It's worth dying for. Mm. And many people not were who were well-intentioned during the French Revolution, eventually, of course, later were guillotined. And Thomas Paine, whose coffee we have sitting in front of us, was almost killed mm. in the, uh, the, the French Revolution. It was only through an, a clerical error, the, a mistake, that they, they didn't behead him while he was there. But it was worth dying for to to fight for a separation of church and state. Let them be forever separate. Build mm -hmm. up a wall, right. as Thomas Jefferson said. Let them be forever separate. Well, I would also argue that so the that separation of freedom. church, the separation of church and state, actually has made religion flourish in the United States of America. Agreed. You know, it's actually been a net positive for religion in the country to have separation of church and state. It's it, because it is able, it enables people to freely choose as they wish to worship in any way they want to without any compulsion by the government to do, uh, to, to be one particular faith or one particular sect. So it's a net positive. So I've never understood people who are libertarian who want the government and somehow involved in any affairs of religion whatsoever. Well, yeah, like I'd be fine if the Capitol just had blank white walls and did not have decorations up for the holidays. Like I'd be fine with that. Can I read to you Thomas Jefferson's letter? to the Danbury Baptists. Mm -hmm. This is very short. Uh, gentlemen, the affectionate sentiments of esteem and approbation, which you are so good as to express on me on behalf of the Danbury Baptist Association, gives me the highest satisfaction. My duties dictate a faithful and zealous pursuit of the interests of my constituents, and in proportion as they are persuaded of my fidelity to these duties, the discharge of them becomes more and more pleasing. Here's the key passage. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between his man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith and his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act of whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof thus building a wall of separation between church and state. 
adhering to the expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments, see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments, which tend to restore to man all his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. That's where people, and this was in 1802, that's where people get this idea. That's where the idea of the separation of church and state originated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, well, it's not founding extent. documents. It's like, but yes. make no, it doesn't, what's the First Amendment? Make no establishment or, what is that? Isn't that, I don't remember it off, I don't have it memorized, like a Bible. Congress should God. make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Right. God is like everywhere in the government. Yeah. But that was in the 1950s. 50s, though. That's recent. in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, it was all recent. Oh, yeah. so like the founding fathers didn't have God in no. anything? No. Oh. No, 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 they no. didn't. As a matter of fact, fact uh, they the reason why that that we have in god we trust uh -huh. on, in our government buildings and on, and on, our, on money our money is it was this started with dwight eisenhower it was because they wanted to use religion they weaponized religion in order to fight against atheist communism right and even our pledge of allegiance, one nation under god was added they don't teach you these these kinds of histories in in school. You have to learn this your education on your own, right? To so, me, that's not separation of church and state. I like the joke somebody made yesterday. It was like, where else should this the statue of Satan be but in the government where he belongs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a monster. Yeah. I mean, I believe he's a monster. They don't like competition. He's hanging out with his friends. Yeah, it's it, it's sad that we have to have these conversations. But also, also the thing, they're trying to trigger you. Know, like when they put up a statue the bathhouse or whatever, whatever, they're trying to make you take bait. And so when you take the bait, you look like like a dumbass. So it's like like you know, it's like oh, they're trying to trigger you. They're trying to get you. They're trying to go to you. And I'm like, am I gonna let? let and so then the question then comes: Who's running the show? Obviously, we act that way. You're letting letting them control you. You're letting letting them in the laws of your emotional state. So really, who's the winner at the end of the day? The people putting up the Satan statue because they succeeded in exactly what they wanted to do was to trigger you. That's right. So they here's what here's what George Washington wrote to the Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island, in August of 1790. Uh, he says, while I receive with much satisfaction your address, replete with expressions of affection and esteem, and esteem, I rejoice in the opportunity of assuring you I shall always retain a grateful remembrance of the cordial welcome I experienced in my visit to Newport. The reflection on the days of citizens of, dif of difficulty and danger which are past is rendered the more sweet, meaning the revolution is over, from a consciousness that they are succeeded by days of uncommon prosperity and security. If we have wisdom to make the best use of advantages to which we are now favored, we cannot fall, fail under the just administration of a good government to, be, to become a great and happy people. Here's the key patch, uh, passage that Washington said to the Jewish congregation. He said, the citizens of the United States of America have a right to applaud themselves for having given to mankind examples of an enlarged and liberal policy, a policy worthy of imitation. All possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of, as it was by the indulgence of one class of people, that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection 
should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. He says that he is pleased with your favorable opinion of his administration and fervent wishes for his felicity. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants while everyone shall sit in safety under his own wine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid. May the Father of all mercies scatter light and not darkness to our paths and make us all in our several vocations useful here and in his own due time and way everlastingly happy. Beautiful. George Washington to the Jewish congregation in 1790. Thanks, George. What do you think he was trying to say there, Justin? I mean, first of all, how's my mic? Is my mic okay? I just fixed it. Oh, you yeah, did? I just fixed okay, because I wasn't sure what was happening on that one. Um, no, I fixed it. Yeah, I mean, again, you people have religious beliefs. I mean, this is the thing. It's like people, I mean, this is the thing. It's a private thing. And this is the, the private privacy of conscience, right? And I think that's where they wanted it to stay, obviously. was it, was it, And I, I feel the same way. It's like, I think your religious beliefs are for you and you alone. And those, and how you wish to worship and how you wish to, that's between you and God and however you define God. Um, it's just when, you know, you want to be like telling me what to do and taking my money to fund your church that I'm just like, hmm, I'm pretty sure. Well, imagine, yeah. imagine living in the United Kingdom. They literally have right. to pay their tax dollars to the Church of England. Right. They actually have uh, priests who work for the government can you imagine the outrage if, if someone even suggested something like that here in the yeah. united states right right, right. Yeah, well, no, the it's... other thing too oh i know ahead, that Steph. a lot of teachers teach religious holidays in schools and so mm. i'm wondering where do you draw the line with that well good question you know, like teaching about like hanukkah traditions for example is it okay for kids to be taught the dreidel game by a teacher i know this has happened it's like is it okay for a teacher to bring like Christmas decorations into the classroom and teach them about Christmas tradition or, or Diwali or Kwanzaa? Um, I know I went to a private school as a kid, so I learned about religious beliefs, um, but that was private. So I don't know if in public school, if you're allowed to like teach about holidays. I, I'm just, Here in that's Missouri, again is where I'm just not sure if I understand the church to have an elective Bible class, mm -hmm. but it didn't pass. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I can imagine the outrage if he had actually advanced an idea that we should have a Quran class. But maybe mm -hmm. we should because we learn a lot about the Bible. We didn't. We didn't learn much about the Quran, and God help us if we aren't having a lot of problems with the Muslim world at this time in history. So, you know, Thomas Jefferson. One of the first things that he did was start to learn about the Quran, but. That was because he was planning to kill some Muslims. <laughs> pirates, Barbary pirates. Oh yes, did you think that the Muslims were going to get away with getting offended? My problem with the Satanists, Justin, is that they're all a bunch of asshole communists, right? I much, I, I much rather truck with the Christians because, to be fair, to be honest, Justin, Christianity was largely liberalized because of the Enlightenment, right? It was yeah. blunted by the Enlightenment. Our problem with the Muslim world is that it did not have contact with the Enlightenment. The Christians, the Jews. The, when people say, oh, well, the Bible says all these horrible things in response to criticizing the, the Quran, they don't practice that. <laughs> they don't practice that here in the United States. They don't, we don't well, stone a rebellious they also tell you how to beat your slaves. I mean, they tell you how to beat your slaves. You know what I mean? It's like, right, but they just don't, don't do make them anymore. lose their teeth or something like that. You know? But the thing is, they don't like, do that anymore. The, no. the Christ, Christianity, as it's written verbatim in the Bible, is illegal in the United States. Correct. Right. But right. in well, Islamic not only that, countries, live up to your ideals. Jesus said to leave all of your money and, and follow him. 
Why aren't we seeing more? Why don't more Christians accept a vow of poverty and say, I'm giving up every and I'm leaving my family because that's also what Jesus said to do was leave your family. Well, they've got a they've got a new thing. It's called the uh, the prosperity gospel. So that's what I'm saying. Money. Like that's not that's again, <laughs> like you don't have to be even literate in the Bible to be like, there's something fishy about that. There's something fishy yeah. about that. I teach Stephanie karate because there's that one section in the Bible where if she were to grab the testicles of a man that I'm fighting with, then her hand would have to be cut off. So. Yeah. I no, teach her how yeah. to do karate kicks so she doesn't okay. have to have her hand cut off. Not only that, but like parent a guy's if, balls. Yeah. If, if, your, if your kids talk back to you, you're okay to kill them. Exactly. But see, the thing, and that's the thing, that's the difference between Christianity and Judaism and Islam. In, in Islamic countries, they practice the darker aspects of their religion. In the United States, you can't cut your son's hand off or you can't you can't cut his tongue out if he talks back to you. You can't do that here because we have a secular constitution and a rule of law that overrules any of the laws in the Bible that don't make any sense. It's not all about the interpretation, though, of, of the Bible, uh, the things in the Bible, because I know a lot of people are like, well, it didn't actually mean you have to, you know take out someone's tongue it's just metaphorical it's, or that's the right? old testament and right. you don't have to follow you know it who yeah. i like, really like, respect no, we don't actually want to kill people mm -hmm. you know who i really respect is the amish because they have the courage of their convictions to go and live away from society and to really Agreed. live in their religion i have much respect for the amish Those because amish they are people. the mm. they are truly brave and they are truly yeah. willing to put their money where their mouth is and to live their faith and their life in in that way and to separate themselves from society like I'm like y'all are y'all are doing the right y'all are on the right track. Like that's I have a lot of respect for people who will be like, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I'm actually yeah. going to go and live away from society and like live in a commune, build my own furniture, have have a farm. You know, I'm like, there you go, there you go. Well, and the, and the, to a large extent, the Jews do that as well. Like that's you know they tend to live in especially the Orthodox, they will live in those communities and they will live according to their laws and follow that law but to the they letter. they have to pay taxes. They do have the to Amish pay taxes. Yeah. I am so envious of the that Amish. The I one, wish they would let me in. That was the one thing that <laughs> I, I really like Jesus and and think that he made a lot of good points. And I think he's definitely worthy a character that's worthy of admiration. But if I were to make one criticism of Jesus, I wish that the he had never said the give, render under Caesar to Caesar what is Caesar's give to God what is God's because it's justified all of the Christian communists and Christian socialists for saying Jesus was a socialist and you have to like take your money and give it to the poor and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of like, all right, well, I just, you know, if he just made that a little bit clear and he did throw the money changers out of the temple, which is pretty good. We like libertarians. We like to say, oh, well, that's the federal reserve, you know, <laughs> and but, if he just had said something about gay people, we could all put this argument to rest. You know, <laughs> I know, but Jesus didn't say anything about gay people. He did didn't he? say nothing about gay people. I'm like, D couldn't you just have said like, I'm not down with it. Or could but you thou just... shalt not lie with another man as you do a woman? That's Old Testament, that's right? That's Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. But I thought Levit we weren't supposed to follow the Old Testament. Well, but this is the thing: Jesus was a Jew, and he was trained in the temple, right? And and he said he didn't come. He said he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it. Wasn't that the whole thing yeah. that he said? I, you know. Brandon Meyer says no. Jesus wasn't a socialist. He actually fed people. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Right. Yeah. 
All right. So, Justin, we've offended everybody here. I think we should probably end on on a high note like that. Justin, is there anybody we haven't offended yet? You know, you have the luxury of like being able to be like, this is my job. And I'm like, yeah, that's not my job. So it's like someone will find this and be like, that's like, that's who I know him. I'm never going to ever. He's horrible. I'm like, I know. I know. Here's the thing, Justin, in this business, they if they the only crime that you can commit and actually, I learned this from Neil Cavuto of Fox News. The one crime that you can commit in this business is to be boring. And you know what? We're not boring. And and that's why I like that Christmas video from the White House. It's not boring. Stephanie is just saying she needs what to stop trip. saying nice things about the Biden and White House. Well, you, did you see the tap dancing video they did, Justin? I did. What do you, you think? What if you really want a fun, like you know, five minutes of your life taken? Check out their website. You know, because you're, everything you read on there, you're going to be like. Oh my God! Like it's all of the all of the buzzwords, you know, all of the common buzzwords that you would diversity, expect equity, inclusion, or just you know, yeah, like uh, you know, broadening the conversation, dial, you know, whatever it is that you're just like, oh, I I see the squirrel in the tree. <laughs> Justin Peterson, my brother, ladies and gents, let's give him a round of applause. What do you say? Yay! We love you, brother. We'll see you next hey, week here for, for I'll Christmas. I'll see you next week. Oh, I love Jew. you. A Jew on Christmas, a gay <laughs> on Christmas, a secularist on Christmas. We're all going to celebrate Christmas together. I'm just a Jew. Jew. I'm only Jew on Christmas. All right. Now everybody's been offended. Love you, brother. All right. Love you, too. See you next week. What do you think, Stephanie? Did we have a good show? I think so. I wanted to talk about... um the toxic masculinity as well the, the uh, clip we had, from hannah cox we had we had so many other great stories but yeah. we just don't have the time to get through all of them i, I tell you what if somebody drops a hundred dollar bill right now oh my god within the next minute because uh, the actually this this theme song has two minutes left to play Shoot. if somebody drops a hundred dollar bill right now we will continue the show for another extra 30 minutes what do you think can we do it a hundred dollars what if it's like a bunch of people dropping like $50. They've got a time. minute 53 to oh make it happen. Oh my God. So we will continue this show if somebody drops a $100 bill. <laughs> Otherwise, we do have to go because we are busy people. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners for tuning into the Wake Up America show this morning. For all of you who have enjoyed it, do me a favor, click like and subscribe. If you were offended, but you're still here, actually, you're our type of people because lots of things that we say here on the show are going to make people mad, right? So, you know what? You're in the right place. Honestly, like Old Saucy, for example, who is the first time we've seen him here Hi. i'm pretty sure we offended him but he's still here hang yeah. out with us some more old saucy like there's lots more offensiveness to go right so <laughs> do us a favor click that like button and subscribe to the channel steffi show him the coffee real quick we got one minute i really wanted to plug our shop apfor we sell this beautiful coffee right here based on the founding fathers and also we have coffee subscriptions and coffee bundles so you can get a nice discount you can make it super easy for yourself just get all your coffee to your door without even doing anything and so we also have cell phone cases we've got beer steins that's actually scott fawn's personal beer stein right over there i mean we have everything you can possibly imagine that is liberty themed in our shop home goods keychains metal signs we've sold some metal signs we're very excited about that custom metal sign god bless america we did we did 
And so we're very excited. We're actually going to be adding some gnomes to our shop. Oh, yeah, this weekend we got the Christmas gnomes. gnomes. So get excited about that. I mean, we're continuing to add bigger and better things. I'm always like, what next? What next? What else can we possibly bring in here? I was even saying we need to sell some of those uh, cookies that Doug Hill has been sending out to like everybody for Christmas that have our coffee beans in them. He made like coffee cookies using Washington's Revolutionary Roast. So I wish we could sell some baked goods even. That'd be awesome. Yep, for sure. Uh, check out AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four. ap for liberty shopcom You can get custom metal signs. You can also get signs like God Bless America that's already made. That's the one that we sold the other day. We'd yep. love to put those in your home. You can hang those outdoors or indoors either way. So it's great. They because are Because it um, has a special coating on it. Yep, for so sure. So that it, it can withstand the elements. We appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in today. We will see you on Monday. Remember, be free. And we'll see you on Monday on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com.